Well, most of us learned um, somewhere around probably elementary school that a guy by the name of Alexander Graham Bell created the telephone or designed the, te- you know, the, the telephone. What you may not know about Alexander Graham Bell is the reason why he was so curious about sound. At the age of 12, his mother started going deaf. And so Alexander Graham Bell became infatuated with how in the world could I possibly help my mom you know, with sound and with hearing. Another piece of trivia that he was curious about was he started designing some schools for the deaf. And one of his most famous students uh, was not only blind, not only a mute, but her name was Helen Keller. So that was actually one of Alexander Graham Bell's most famous students. But it all started because he was curious, can I help my mom? Uh, another guy by the name of Benjamin Franklin. How many of you heard of Benjamin Franklin? You've heard of Ben? Yeah. Well, contrary to popular opinion, he really didn't invent electricity. I think God has the patent on that. But he did um, discover it, and he did invent the lightning rod. And what's interesting about these inventors is they're always very, very curious people. Uh, he had two different sets of glasses. He had a set of glasses that would be for distance and a set of glasses that were reading glasses. And, and it, the story goes, he hated always taking off his glasses. So he, he would put on his glasses to read and he t- put the other pair of glasses on to be able to see distance. So one day he kind of got mad and he took lenses out of each one of those glasses, cut them in half and just stuck one lens from one set to the other. And the top lens was able to see distance and the bottom lens was able to see, to be able to read. And thus he said, this is going to work. And he created the bifocals. So how many in the room have used bifocals before? Okay. Yeah, you're old. Okay. So, um, so Benjamin Franklin is the one that kind of came up with that. And he, 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 he was an inventor. Another interesting trivia about this inventor, Benjamin Franklin is he was curious to see if he could reduce the number of house fires. In that day, there was nothing that would contain the fires in the homes. And so the homes would easily catch on fire and a lot of people died. And so he thought, you know what, I wonder if, and he was the guy who actually came up with the, the iron fireplace, some kind of a pit within the fireplace that would keep the, uh, the homes contained. But he, but he was curious. I think we're all curious. We may not all be inventors, uh, we maybe like to invent some things, but, but all of us, have you seen a baby? And you watch this baby, and the baby begins to realize that these fingers are actually attached to this hand, which is actually attached to this arm, and you can almost see a baby discover, this is me. It's kind of it's cool. How many of your kids have been too curious, <coughs> and they stuck their finger in a light socket in, in your house? How many of your kids have ever done that? Okay, a few of you, okay. We haven't had communion yet. You can still confess your sins. It's, 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 it's okay. Uh, all of us are curious to some extent. Maybe it's why you're married, because you were curious if he or she would be cute or nice or wanted to get married, and you may have married your spouse for, because, because of that very reason. You may be in a profession today because you were curious about your interests. You know, everybody else ran away when there was blood, and you thought, this is kind of cool, and so you're now a nurse, or you're now a surgeon or a doctor. It, it, it didn't really bother you. So curiosity often gets us to where we are today. 
All right, how many of you have seen the little signs that say, wet paint, do not touch, but you've been curious and you've touched it? Okay, yeah, we've got lots of sinners in the room. How, how many of you um, have seen the little, you know, the vending machine that says out of order, and yet you still go up and start pushing, you know, the buttons? Or maybe the, the parking thing that says 15 minutes parking, and you've been curious to see if I could get away with it, and you come back an hour later, and sure enough, you, you have a nice little ticket. Well, we have a guy today who was very curious about Jesus. He wasn't really curious about God. He thought he had the corner on God. He thought he pretty well had God figured out. But he was very, very curious about Jesus. You see, I think that's why you're here today. I think you're in the room today, maybe for the first time coming to church, or maybe you've come to church for a long time, but whatever your reason is, you're curious about God. Is there something supernatural available for you? And maybe you've never really prayed before. Maybe you've never really followed the scriptures before. But you're kind of curious because you know some people who do. And there's something different about them. And you're curious to want to know, is there something to this whole prayer thing? Would my life be a little better or different if I really did kind of follow the principles. There's 66 different books in this one book. And so you're kind of curious to know, I wonder what my business would be like. I wonder if I would have more money and be less stressed. I wonder if I would have more peace. You're probably curious today, and that's why you're here, and you're trying to figure this out. Well, this guy's name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And you're going to learn a lot more about the Pharisees in your connect groups this week. We're going to dig a little deeper. There's a DVD that goes with your connect groups this week. But this guy, Nicodemus, was a Pharisee. Now, I just want to say that not all Pharisees were bad people. We kind of always lump all the Pharisees as a bunch of religious hypocrites. They, they, they really weren't. There were a lot of them that were. But honestly, the Pharisees were trying to do this thing right. So they weren't all a bunch of hypocrites. They weren't all bad people. They were pretty much good people trying to keep the law and do what is right. So here's a guy who thinks he's in the kingdom of God, and yet he can't quite figure out who Jesus is, and he's just really darn curious. But everybody was. Everybody was curious about Jesus. He's got no Ivy League education, and yet nobody's ever taught like him. He doesn't seem to have a great background. His mom and dad are peasant people, and yet he's got incredible notoriety. Everybody became curious about Jesus of Nazareth, even John the Baptist. John the Baptist, are you the one who was to come, or are we supposed to, like, look for somebody else? His own mother was curious about him. They're all at a wedding. They run out of wine. And he says to his mom, mom, it's not my time yet. You know, I can't get the party started. She wants to get the thing going. And Jesus said, I I, I can't do it. And she said, all right, all right, just do whatever he tells you to do. And of course, Jesus turns water into wine. Even his mother was curious about him. And so here's a guy in our story today who comes at night. And I don't think he worked his eight hours and just got off the shift and came. I think he came at night because it was a clandestine message. 
The other Pharisees around him probably dismissed Jesus, but he recognized there's something about Jesus that is so unique that I am just curious. And so here he is. So turn with me to John chapter 3. And you, you need a Bible this series. If you download the U version on your phone or, you know, bring a Bible. But th- this series, the next seven weeks, including today, eight, we, we, we kind of need a Bible. So turn with me to John chapter 3. And here's this story. There was a Pharisee, and you're going to learn there's about 6,000 Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, there were only 70 who were in this ruling council. So this is called the Sanhedrin. It's a very elite group. So this is not your, just your normal Pharisee. This is a great Pharisee. This is a Pharisee with clout. This is a Pharisee with some leverage to him. He's a member of the elite Sanhedrin. Look at the next verse. He came to Jesus at night. I think that's on purpose. I think the author is letting us know he's trying to come kind of underneath the radar. And he said, Rabbi, he doesn't call him God, doesn't call him the son of God, doesn't call him savior, but he knows he's a great teacher. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. How? next, Next verse. For no one could perform the signs. Now, The Gospel of John is a book of signs, but that's not what he's talking about. The Gospel of John has one sign after another sign after another sign after another sign, and the author is pointing these signs all point to who Jesus is. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is everybody was looking for the Messiah to fulfill four different signs. This is worth writing down. I'm going to give you all four of these. If you've never heard this before, write this down and commit this to memory. Because everybody knew that if he really was the Messiah, he had to fulfill four different signs. Now, there were hundreds of knockoff messiahs. There were hundreds of different men who marched on the scene and claimed that they were actually the Messiah. But the religious leaders knew that the true Messiah would have to fulfill four different signs. Number one, they all knew this. They all were in agreement with this. Number one, he would have to heal a leper. The Messiah, the true Messiah, would have to heal a leper. Now, did Jesus do that? He did. In fact, several different occasions. It said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Nobody ever questioned whether he could do it. They were just saying, are you willing? We know you can. Lord, if you're willing, you can. Jesus was willing, and he had the ability. But everybody knew, and this Pharisee Nicodemus knew, the Messiah would have to heal a leper. Number two, he would have to cast out a mute demon. Now, the rabbis were able, according to tradition to cast out demons. And the way that the rabbi would do this is they would ask the demon, what is your name? And then they would cast that demon out by name. But the Messiah would be able to cast out a mute demon because nobody could ask a mute demon its name because it can't respond. It's mute. So the real Messiah would not have to ask the demon its name. The Messiah would be able to cast out a mute demon. Number three, Jesus did that. Number three, he would heal a man born blind. And in just a couple more chapters, uh, we see that Jesus did that as well. So here, here Nicodemus is. He's just real curious about Jesus. 
The fourth sign was he'd have to raise a man from the dead. And so when he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a man who's come from God. Because nobody, nobody could do the miraculous signs that you're performing if God wasn't doing it through you. And so Jesus performed all four of these different signs that would be the Messiah. And then Jesus responds to that in such a way that it would almost make you think Jesus wasn't paying attention. Maybe he was drinking a latte or something and wasn't following exactly what Nicodemus was talking about. Because Jesus' response in the next verse is just so different than what he just said. See, Nicodemus just said, Rabbi, we know that you are a man who's come from God because nobody could do these signs unless God were with him. And then Jesus says this, well, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you see, you think you're in, but really you're out. You think you're in because you're a child of Abraham. You think you're in because you're a son of of Moses. You think you're in because you've been circumcised. You think you're in because you're in the covenant. But I'm going to tell you, nobody, nobody, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus is so confused because here's what Nicodemus has done all his life. All he's ever done is keep the law. He kept the big 10. Everybody knows about the big 10 commandments, right? He kept the big 10 that came from Moses. If you read through the Old Testament, there's another 613 commandments. So again, he kept the 10. He kept the 613. Then there are what's called fence laws. And these fence laws were put in place by the Jewish people to prevent you from even getting close to breaking the law. That's why Jesus never broke the law. He never broke the Sabbath laws. He broke the Sabbath fence laws. Jesus never broke any of the laws. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And so Jesus fulfills every one of the 10, every one of the 613, but there's 300,000 fence laws. And these fence laws were put in place so that you wouldn't even get close to breaking. started with, with uh, Ezra. So you wouldn't even get close to breaking the commandments. And here's Nicodemus going, I spent my whole life fulfilling the 10. I am committed to the 613. And to the best of my ability, I have tried to keep the 300,000 laws. And you're telling me I'm out? Nobody's worked harder than a guy like Nick to keep the law. So what is Jesus saying? In fact, there's just one verse I'll give you right now to support what I'm trying to say. It's Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. Jesus says, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And, and so Jesus is trying to now expand his thinking about the kingdom of God and how you get in and what does that look like. Let's look at the next verse. John chapter 3, verse 4. No wonder he asks this question. How, how, I don't know if he's being sarcastic. I don't know if he's frustrated. I, I know he's confused. And so Nicodemus says, well, how can someone be born when they are old? They can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. I mean, how could a six foot two, 245 pound dude, I mean, you know, fit? I mean, he's just asking the question, right? The next verse, 
Jesus answered, Very, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. This is so different. You get in the kingdom by circumcision. You get in the kingdom by the covenant. You get in the kingdom by having the right pedigree. What do you mean born of the water and the spirit? This is a paradigm shift. Now, what's Jesus referring to? Is he referring to physical birth where, you know, the amniotic fluid and the water sack? Probably not. Is he saying that you have to be baptized? We're all for baptism. We baptize lots, hundreds of people every year. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What I think, I think he's talking about here is a supernatural birth that only God can do. Only God can create this supernatural birth. I think it's a reference back to Ezekiel, hundreds of years before. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36. God is talking about, I will sprinkle. There's a coming a day in the future where I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So in that whole context, Jesus says in verse chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus says flesh gives birth to flesh. And we all get that. We understand that. I mean, you know, seed of, of a woman and seed of the man, that flesh gives her. We, 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 I don't know that they understood, you know, sperm and egg, but, but we get that. They understood flesh. But Jesus, I'm not talking about flesh. I'm talking, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about what you, how you behave. I'm not talking about how you can do this. I'm talking about something that's so large and so big that you can't do it. It doesn't come from you. It comes from my Father in heaven. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now notice one is capitalized, and notice one is in lowercase. And this is how conversion occurs. It's God's Spirit that now converts your human spirit. And your human spirit is never the same. And Jesus is trying to reprogram Nicodemus. It's not how you behave. It's now how you believe. And once you believe, my Father's spirit and my spirit will change how you behave. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to the spirit. The next verse, look at this. <laughs> he says, Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying this. Nicodemus is going, I'm, I'm asking, why wouldn't he be surprised? Right? Wouldn't you, are, wouldn't you be surprised if for thousands of years there's been a tradition of how you get in and now the Messiah fulfills all four signs and he's changing, he's changing the format? Nick, I'm telling you, I appreciate you keeping the Big Ten. I love it how you've worked hard on the 613. You haven't kept them all, but I love how you kept tried to. And man, you're just exhausted trying to keep the 300,000 fence laws. But Nick, it's a dead end. You got to be born again. Oh man, he's confused. So Jesus extrapolates this a little bit further. Next verse. 
He says, you know, Nick, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Great verse. What the world does it mean? Well, I said earlier, Benjamin Franklin didn't really invent electricity. He kind of discovered it, right? How many of us like electricity? How many of us in the room appreciate lights, especially at night? We want to read, want to watch TV, want to watch the Rays, try to win a few games. You know, we're hurting right now, but we, we like our TV. We like that. How many of us had a hot shower this morning? Hot shower? Okay. Most of us like hot water. Anybody like, everybody like hot water? I like hot showers. How about air conditioning? Did you sleep good in air conditioning last night? We like the AC, baby. We like hot water, AC, good electricity. Well, there's an analogy. I don't know that I can really explain electricity. I just know I like it. I know it's there. I know it's available. I know it costs money, but I know it's there, and I like being able to use it. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you got to be born of the Spirit, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus, this is kind of how it works. It's not predictable. Yes, you can see the wind blowing stuff, and you can hear the wind, but you don't really know where it comes from. You can't predict the gusts. You can't predict how high. You can't predict how low. But the Spirit of God, is, is, it's like the wind. And that's how the Spirit of God's going to work in your life. You surrender to Christ, you don't really know how far or, or where the Spirit of God's going to take you. You don't, you wake up and you're not really sure exactly all the different things the Spirit of God has in store, in mind for you this particular day. Nicodemus, you're killing yourself trying to behave a certain way. Be born again, let my spirit overwhelm you, and I tell you, it's going to be a white knuckle adventure. It's going to be exciting. Well, the next verse, how can this be? I, I really feel sorry for him. I'm not making fun of him. I'm not. I, I can't imagine working so hard for 50 years or so, and somebody's telling you, it's really just as simple as accepting me as the Savior of the world and letting my Father's Spirit indwell you and transform you, and you'll have a great life. The guy's worked his tail off trying to get in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 14, Jesus makes a reference to something that happened in the Old Testament that he would be clear about. Look at verse 14. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now, maybe you haven't read the Old Testament, or maybe you forget this story. But see, Jesus just referenced it. He didn't tell the story. He referenced it because he knew that Nicodemus would know it. And what happened in this story, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, what happened is... The Israelites came through the Red Sea and came out of Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness, and after a while, they begin to complain. We don't like your provisions, God. And so they complained about the bread, and they complained about the water, and God was ticked. And so God sent venomous snakes, and these venomous venomous snakes began to bite the people, and the people began to die. So they cried out for God, save us, help us. And so God said, all right, all right, I'll do that. I'm going to put a snake on a pole. And everybody who's humble enough to acknowledge that you can't save yourself, everybody in the the desert who's humble enough to realize that I am God, everybody who will humble themselves and look up and look at this snake on the pole, they will be saved. 
And so he said, Nicodemus, it's the same example. Just like, you know, in Numbers chapter 21, where Moses lifted up a snake on a pole in the next verse, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is talking about he's foreshadowing his death. He's foreshadowing the cross. And Jesus is saying, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to die as a sin offering, and I'm going to be raised up. And just like this, you too can be saved. And verse 15 says this, that every, Nicodemus, everyone who believes, they can have eternal. It's not how I behave. Well, yeah, it matters how you behave, but it starts with how you believe, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. You see, Nicodemus is thinking that this salvation thing is only for people who are like of the Jewish nation. I love Jewish people. Jewish people are wonderful. I wish I would have been born Jew. I really do. Because we're all, the rest of us Gentiles, we're the grafted in branches. But the Jewish people, you know, they're, they're the ones that God chose. And what he's saying is, it's not just them. Now it's going to be everybody. Look at the next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and God's only son. And so the great news about this story is that we read several chapters later that Nicodemus actually did become a Christian. Nicodemus actually did surrender his life to Jesus Christ. Nicodemus actually was one of the people who was actually helped responsible for even the burial of Jesus. And he was all in and, and all dialed in. So how would your life be different? Aren't you curious? How would your life be different if you'd surrendered your life to Christ? If you didn't try to work out your salvation, but you actually believed, how would you be different? So I just want to give everybody a chance this morning to become a Christian. I want to give everybody an opportunity. We're going to put this little prayer on the screen. It's called a salvation prayer. It starts the process. But basically, it's acknowledging that he's God and you're not. It's basically acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And we're all going to join you. We're all going to say this out loud together. Then we're going to take communion after that in just a minute. But I would encourage us all to stand at this time. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can do so. You can choose to do so at this very moment. And we're all going to join you. We're all going to say this together. Read this out loud. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am so grateful that you are able and willing to forgive me of all my sins. I confess that you are the Son of God, and at this moment, I give my whole life to you. Thank you for allowing me to become a Christian and to live with you forever. Amen. All right, the elements are being passed out right now. Have a seat. Take, take the elements, if you would, the loaf and the cup. And I want you now, if you've given your life to Christ, as well as the rest of us, just to be grateful. The greatest verse, I think, of all times, the one I skipped, John three sixteen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish 
but have everlasting life. So I just want to ask you for a couple minutes. Those of you in the back, you start meditating. Those of you in the front, meditate. I just want you to be grateful. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. And we'll remember right now his body and his blood. Messiah could do. And today, we, uh, we just want to say thanks for your body and thanks for your blood. We remember you in your name. thought about this and I, I've been real curious so let me let me just personalize this for just a second because I thought you know what what if what if I uh, I do this thing right in my own life you thought the same thing aren't you curious what if you leaned in a whole hundred percent how would your life be what how would your your, the results be, and I, I've thought about, you know, what if, what, what if I really do this thing right? Don't take shortcuts, but I, I keep leaning on God and leaning on Scripture. And what, what, what if I do this thing right? Danae and I've been married for 29 years. What, what, what if I do this marriage thing right? 
what, 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 what would it be like to, to, to do marriage right? We've got three wonderful kids, 24, 22, 17. What, what would it be like to do the whole father thing right, the parenting thing right? What, what, what would it be like? I mean, I've thought about it as, as a spiritual leader, you know, what, what if I do this whole pastor thing right? And I play the movie forward in my mind, and I go back, I go down, you know, years ahead of me, and I think, well, what, what would it be like? What, what, what would be the results of that? Would I be happy? Would I be glad that I did it right, didn't take the shortcuts? Or would I think, gosh, I wish I would have taken shortcuts. I wish I would have, you know, taken shortcuts along the way. You know the answer to that. You see, we're all curious in this room. We're all curious. And we're all wondering, what if we do this thing right? What, what if we really learn to pray? What, what if we really learn to live by, by the principles in, in this book? The middle schoolers and high schoolers in this room, what, what if you, at this stage of your life, began to develop some habits that would be with you for the next 60 years of your life? And these habits were good habits. And you began every morning before you got out of bed. You're in middle school. And every morning before you get out of bed, you, you actually pray and ask God to help you to live within the margins of Scripture. And you actually read some Scripture every single day, and Scripture becomes the lenses through which you see everything. What, what, what if it's a young adult? Imagine what your life would be like as a young adult. Young adults in our culture are going this direction. Imagine if you decided to go God's direction and, and, and you decided that you were going to live your life within the margins of Scripture. Can you imagine how your life would be so different than the brokenness and the pain and the shame and the guilt? Can you imagine what your life would be like? Can, can you imagine if in business you, you actually decided to follow the principles of Scripture? Can you imagine if you began to love unlovely people, unlovable people in your family? We've all got them in our family. We've all got them in our neighborhoods. I said that in second service, and my neighbors were sitting right here about the third row. I said, well, we, I got some good neighbors, but they're not all great neighbors. But, but can you imagine what your life would be like? Aren't you curious how your life would look? When you come to the end of your life and you say, yeah, I did it God's way. I didn't do it Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I did it God's way. Just, just imagine what your life would look like and what your life would be like if you chose to do things God's way. Well, I love how this story ends with Nicodemus and his, his commitment to Christ. And his life looked so different because he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine as a church, we as a church do this thing right, and do church life right, and church work right. Can, can you imagine the witness to this community and the witness to our families and our neighbors? Well, let, let, let's do it right. Let, let's get real curious what it's going to look like, and let's, let, let's do it God's way for him and he gets incredible glory. You see the the wind blows, you hear it sound, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going. But man, when the spirit of God is flowing in your life, 
He has great and mighty things in store for you. So we surrender. We submit. We surrender. We submit. We surrender. We submit. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And maybe a few minutes ago, for the first time, you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time you've ever done that. And I would encourage you to let somebody pray with you. And maybe you're thinking, I just gave my life to Jesus. Now, what's next? I don't have a clue what's next. Come down and let some of our prayer partners pray with you and pray for you and pray over you, and they will help you with that. I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's a special prayer request, and I'm going to ask you guys to scoot down here and spread out a little bit. Would you guys come on down? And, and, and maybe there's a special request or there's a health need or a vocational need or just whatever needs that you have. Our friends are willing to pray with you and pray for you and pray over you. You see, you were meant to live an extraordinary life. And it's a life that you crave because you're curious about it. So we come to you, we submit to you, we surrender to you, and we certainly want to live all of our life for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. And thank you for your spirit. And thank you for the opportunity of eternal life in you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.